0: Dopey, the podcast about drugs and addiction and stuff. It's going to be uh, the podcast about uh, music and rock and roll. Yeah, the pod here today. We have a very very special episode
1: of Dopey, right?
0: Yeah, special for several reasons.
1: Why? Because the I'm- person, listen to this. You listen to this. Yeah.
0: Listen. You listening. Yeah, I'm
1: you hear that? Yeah. That honking? Yeah. That was our special
0: guest. Oh, the honking
1: was? Yeah. All right. And our special guest is... Uh, he played on um, the Rolling Stones from Let It Bleed in 1969. He played the, the limousine the car horn in the beginning of Country Honk. One of my favorite rolling stone songs really did you know he did the hunk not
0: before i read his book okay um but so, yeah. yeah so dave interviewed this guy sam dopey nation i'm sorry i'm not on the actual interview and i haven't even heard it yet it's fucked up i'm because... a little concerned well it's fucked up first of all because i was talking to dave and i was like before he recorded it and like i i wouldn't have much to add to this anyways because i don't know anything about rock. before
1: you World. even say that though
0: I Chris was like I'm going to come in on this
1: Friday and and um and we're going to record and I said great and somehow I got a hold of Sam Cutler. I'd been trying to get a hold of Sam Cutler for I want to say a year. Yeah. I was writing him little messages and he was never writing back. Yeah. And then I saw he had two Facebook pages and I found his second Facebook page and I wrote him on that and that's when he wrote back to me. Um I booked him for a Friday that Chris told me he was going to come. And then out of the blue, Chris was like, I can't go. You should just interview him.
0: Yeah. And then I was like. But you didn't even interview him that night anyways, right?
1: No. Then I, then <laughs> he wound up like losing his phone. Then he Rainforest. wound up breaking his phone. Then he wound up dropping it in the toilet. Yeah. It was like a lot of misadventure trying to get
0: Tim Color. And for this interview, I read. Well, I had read the books anyway. We prepared a lot. But my concern here is I said to Dave before he does it, remember, because Dave can get really carried away with this rock and roll stuff. I said, remember, this is a show about drugs and try to keep it at least 50% dopey. And so Dave does the thing. And afterwards I say, did you keep it at 50% dopey? And Dave's like, yeah, yeah. And Dave thought I said 15%, not 50%. So for our rock and roll enthusiasts out there, which I know there's a lot, Cormac, everybody else. Yeah, Cormac's into it. That uh what what's coming? Jed said he was excited. Jed, what's coming soon are maybe the Australia guys. Well um, he's from Australia. That's what I'm Well saying. he's English but he lives Did, in Australia. Did somebody post it on uh Reddit I think that they didn't No, know, it, it was it on Instagram it. because he was upset he thought
1: he thought that um he was upset that that Sam hadn't responded. Yeah. And he was like, Fuck Sam but you yeah. know, Sam is you know, obviously an accompli he's a writer yeah. and uh he's in his seventies. Yeah. So like he didn't really want to. didn't really want to be bothered for a little bit.
0: But anyways, the point of all this stuff is that um, you, uh, dopey nation that's about to listen, this might be a little rock and rollish. Oh, it's fucking. It's an hour. So if you don't want to, li- I mean, I, I
1: don't even want to say it. It's an hour mm-hmm. long. If you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to listen to it. But now Sam Culler's going to hear it. He's going to be like, "What the fuck did you tell him not to listen for?"
0: No, because tune out if, if, if you don't want it. You know, what's, it's, it's good for them to know what they're getting into.
1: We're talking about an hour of incredibly exciting stories about the Grateful Dead, the Rolling Stones. This is the guy that toured with the Stones in 1969.
0: He's the guy who helped set up the Altamont Music Festival. I mean, He's, it's prime. That's You know the thing where they ask you if you could be born in any generation and when would you want to live? That's one of the ones. It's always like, I wish I was around in the 60s. No, you don't. I do. You do? Not for the music. For what? Just for that whole thing, you know? For the that excitement. That was my wish when I was active. It was like, because it was like, you know, drugs were ruining my life. But I was like, just if I lived in the 60s, maybe I would have smoked pot and took a lot of LSD and been free love and like, you know, could have basically like... You would have
1: listened to better music than Flesh and Bone?
0: Yeah, I would have listened to better music. I, I mean, I listen to... I'm something. sure
1: somehow in the 60s you'd even find the worst music to listen to
0: what is bad music from the 60s
1: um bad music from the 60s it's mostly pretty fucking good it's all good it's not all good but it's It's mostly good good. who don't i like in the 60s that much i i'm not i mean people are gonna hate on me for this i don't love frank zappa people love frank zappa it's too out there for me yeah i mean the thing about the 60s was that pop music was good You know, there's something that wasn't good, but the 60s had a lot of good music. And this guy was like right there. He tells us, he told me stories about him with Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix, and he told some cool stories.
0: Yeah.
1: He went on a train ride in Canada with Janis Joplin, the Grateful Dead, members of the band, the band that toured with Bob Dylan, other bands that you don't know about, Albert King, blues player. But it's just, for me,
0: I spent. An eternity watching these movies that he turns up in. All right. We don't need to turn the beginning of the rock and roll show into rock and roll. I kind of want to. No, because it's just going to be all rock and roll. Okay. It's funny. You actually reminded me of an interesting uh, no, I'm story. No, i for emails. relax. No, I got an email already to go. What do you got? I What's got the, the th- interesting story I reminded you of? Oh, um, it's really not super interesting, but it's funny. I remember when I was in fifth grade. This, uh-huh. That's pretty fucking young, right? Yeah. That um, there was this kid in my class, his name was Guru Dharam Singh Khalsa. What kind of name is that? It's Sikh. He was Sikh. Mm. And uh, we were at this, like, party, you know, fifth grade party, like, you could go, little cliques, girls and guys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was off in this, like, playhouse, you know? It was, like, basically, like this kid, this kid who had the party, his little brother had this, like, playhouse. And I went in the playhouse with him, and he had this big fucking bag of uh, brown powder. And he's like, do you want to have some? And we're in fifth fucking grade. That's pretty young, right? And how old are you in fifth grade? Like 10? Mm-hmm. 10, 11, something like that. And uh, it was a bag of nutmeg. And I remember being like, I like ate a little bit. I was like, hell, oh, that's weird. And he was always this bizarre kid, right? And it wasn't until like, I, I always remember it stood out because I was like, is he trying to give me drugs? And I was like, I remember I was saying, I was like, is this drugs? I don't do drugs, you know, or something like that. And he laughed and he said, No. But then, like, when I was, like, years later, I—I uh, I really, you trip off a of nutmeg. You eat a shitload of nutmeg and you have, like, a trip. You know? Did you it's ever like, try unpleasant? that? I tried it. It didn't work. It's like, but you have a long, like, one to two day trip that's unpleasant. And they removed it. Um, that's they, unpleasant. They from prison. <laughs> they removed from prisons and stuff because people would trip on it. But the reason I just remembered that is because he turned me on to Jimi Hendrix.
1: <laughs> you like Jimi Hendrix, right? I like Jimi
0: Hendrix, of course. Who doesn't like Jimi Hendrix? I don't know. Um, you have an okay, email? I got an email I had ready to email go. Too. Yeah, I got one ready to go though. All right, you ready? Yeah. Hi Dave and Chris. My name is Matt and I've been listening to your podcast from the first episode. I am a normie with no prior drug addictions but enjoy listening to your stories. I currently work in the rehabilitation sector as an education coordinator at a prison in Australia. My background is in case management and I stumbled across your podcast as I enjoy learning about various strategies to beat addiction. I think connecting with your audience is so important, and I love how the Dopey Nation supports you with su- success stories. Hence the purpose of this email. A prison is about to be open, which I will be coordinating education interventions for inmates. Part of this role would involve setting up an inmate library. Given a large number of our inmates have battled with addiction, and I thought your podcast may be a good resource to obtain. Unfortunately, I cannot stream podcasts in a prison environment. Would it be a possibility to have some hard copies of your podcast as a resource for the newly established inmate library? Is this something you even offer? I haven't yet had discussions with senior management in relation to if this is able to happen. Just wanted to send the feelers out to get an indication if this may be something of interest. I think your work may help some offenders and provide a great platform for unique approaches to rehabilitation. Cheers. Matt, what do you think?
1: Pretty rad. I'm surprised you haven't made the dopey CDs yet.
0: Well, I didn't even know what you wanted. I'm like, what do you mean hard copies? I mean, you can just download it and burn it yourself. Yeah, man. I'm like, I'm- go for it, you know, whatever you want. Maybe it's like it reminds me of. I that. thought at first he meant like manuscripts. It totally <laughs>
1: reminds me of that homeless guy who wants the flash drive
0: of oh lonely God. space. I still Frank. see him. All. I kind of avoid him now. What does Frank I... have to say? Frank's met Annie a bunch. Does he like what about? I'm like I Helga? tell I tell Frank I'm like Annie. This is, Frank, this is Annie. Is Helga's roommate? Annie's like Frank's
1: like. You guys gonna make a podcast about homelessness <laughs> that I could get on?
0: <laughs> um. So. Pretty cool. And so, but in this um, thread of conversation or thinking or whatever about Doby being potentially helpful for inmates, I also want to share some uh, recent Dopey press. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, September, we're a little behind, but September 27th, 2017, an article was published that was titled Four Podcasts to Talk You Through Tough Times in Early Recovery. Well, let me guess what it was. It was Dr. Drew, uh, Russell Brand, uh, Bob Forrest, and Church and Other Drugs. No. Wrong, 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 wrong. So, number one. It's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of... Not crap. It's a bunch of... It's chocolate. a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of <laughs> so, Number one is uh, Meditation Minis podcast. Mm-hmm. Number two is The Share podcast. Oh, Omar. Number three is the Dopey Podcast. What
1: did I say about Dopey?
0: And number four is Sleep With Me, Help Falling Asleep. So sleep these With are, Me? These are the four podcasts that early recovery. Is that like, is that like the, the sister podcast of guys we fucked? Sleep With sleep Me? With me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of it in that way. Uh, anyway, so you guys want to hear what they said about us? So I, first of all, am just totally honored that we made the cut. That we uh, made the list. We're so on sweet. It. It's fucking beautiful. You're
1: really like... I think, listen, all... Fucking bullshit aside, I really think Chris is going to go places in life. Yeah, what do you mean? Because you're just so full of shit, and and you're such a people pleaser,
0: and like that. Those two things are like huge, bro. I just did an event at school that had mayors from the town. I'm, I'm uh... I'm telling you, (laughs) Chris is going places. You're going places. (laughs) I think you're going places. You do? I'm kind of open to ride your coattails. Where am I going? I don't know. I was hoping that pilot thing would work out. Or no, where, are, or where am I going? I'm hoping that you you get some TV show and I get to write on you it. You know what's That's happening? That's the only reason I'm maintaining <laughs> you know what You know what's happening?
1: is the cookies.
0: The cookies is bullshit. I'm not not crossing my fingers for the cookies. The cookies, it's that's the money. Dave's so dumb. He's making this black and white cookie, the Othello. We've talked about a hundred times on the show. But and the, he where, does it, and he prints a hundred cookies, and he sells out of them in a day. And then he's like, hmm, three months from now, we're gonna run another hundred cookies, dude. This cookie—it's the Othello Mark II. You make five thousand cookies, and you go pound pavement, and you put them in all the stores, and then you see if you get orders, and you, then you make you another look five thousand. Right
1: now, <laughs> you, you tell me—I look—you look
0: insane. <laughs> I'm so—I'm so sane. I just blew your mind. You're, you're so sweaty. You're dry. <laughs> what is that from? You're, Am so. Or am I sane. so sane that I just blew your mind? Uh, you don't think I know what that's from? What's it's it from? Kramer from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So we're gonna read what this article said about Dopey. So um, I think you're gonna be very honored, successful. Honored, we made the list, but this
1: is what they said. I think maybe will be Dopey will be successful because you're such
0: a fucking kiss ass. Okay. Number three. If you think you're the biggest screw up out there. Dot, dot, dot. Listen to Dopey, the dark comedy of drug addiction. Dopey is not a recovery podcast, but rather a war stories podcast. It's not for the faint of heart. If what it was like is your favorite part of 12-step meetings, or you're missing your using friends, then Dopey is a walk down the insane memory lane of drug use you might enjoy. What I don't get is, they said, if you're missing your using friends... I don't understand any of that. Like, if you're... Like, does that imply we're using? It's... Yeah. Did she even listen to the show? That's what I'm saying. It's like... It's so funny to me. Because... I mean, listen.
1: We've done a hundred... 102 episodes here, yeah. you know? So it's like... It's a lot of listening, you know? There's no way she listened to all 102. But maybe she listened to the first couple. Yeah. And in the first couple, it's a lot of war stories. And in fact, I think probably for the first 20... We say we wanted to call it War Stories, yeah. but we called Adobe. Yeah. So, like, no, our podcast
0: is ba- – it's like I don't even want to put drug stories in our podcast anymore. I'm still so down for drug. I just, I, yeah, here you go. I just ran them. out of them. I had nothing left to say. Yeah. I, I was I, retelling them. And the funny thing is I feel like even from the time I started Adobe, it's been almost two years now. I have like a harder time even recalling them. Sometimes I get excited and I get into it. But I think back and it's like I have so many crazy like war stories and they're all on Dopey. If you go sift through it, they're all there. But I can't like remember them as easily as I remember them even two years ago. Well, it's like it's like a distant like a distant past, you know? Like,
1: I as soon as we went through all of our stories, which yeah. was very fast. Yeah. As soon as we went through our stories, I knew that dopey, like that. I, I'm the only person that thinks recovery is funny.
0: No, recovery is hilarious. I think recovery is funny. I think all the bullshit in recovery is funny. But what? even the war stories, and not to, this is very one upmanship sort of talking. Both of us, from we've had such significant long-using histories that we have these kind of, like, neat little funny war stories that we told in the beginning and that, like, had kind of an arc and an ending and they were funny. But even our stupid little anecdotal stuff that pops up sometimes – those are like the war stories of some of the people like email us and it's shit we even forget. Do you know what I mean? And it's just little side notes that pops up. So even making it a recovery podcast, still like I think the format of adding those little anecdotal things that pop up from time to time, whether it's injections of shooting, uh, shooting mechanics or uh, right. drug testing stories, like shit like that. Needles breaking up. Yeah. Fucking but it's weird. mostly recovery and funny shit from well, – and I think what we do differently too from the stuff – and a little bit I've listened to is we share a lot of our personal lives and what's going on. It's a two-year story arc of both of... I mean, you hear my old fucking relating. You psychoanalyze me every other episode. We hear about Linda, and we hear about, you know, what's going on in your life less. I mean, you're a little more guarded than I... Your fucking dad comes on. He's been on three or four times. Talk about
1: work constantly. Yeah. Um, I think that our show is... Um, it's like... Listen, I don't listen to the share that much, yeah. and I and I have only the utmost respect for Omar and gratitude for him. You know what I mean?
0: Omar really came through for us, and Omar helps people. And I I don't have anything to say bad and, about. And you Omar. know what? Omar was actually one of the like his his podcast, the Share Podcast, Opie Nation. It's super hope hopey. You know, it's very hope based, kind of like it's not strictly twelve step, but it's just like very you know, it's hopey. It's hopey, yeah, but he got on our show and I think he understood the format of our show and really did what Dopey was like originally about. He went like to very town. Well. He went to town. It was a fucking great, a great, great episode. And I think we did the same on his. We gave we got Hopi on Share. The Dopey host got Hopi on Share. But the point is that our
1: recovery, because I, I don't think Dopey is a, a drug podcast. I think it's a recovery podcast. Big Master, I
0: think it's a, I I think it's a recovery podcast masquerading as a War Stories podcast. And I don't think we should ever change that.
1: We're not changing it. Uh, I'm just saying that, like, in my own definition, in my own mind, and when I talk about it... I mean, I just say it's a really stupid podcast. Don't listen to it. That's really what I tell people. That's your pitch? Yeah. (laughs) I stop saying it's retarded just in case they have retarded kids. I just say, oh, yeah. Like, this morning I went to a meeting... And uh there's a girl at the meeting wearing a dopey shirt, which like and I'm sitting across from her, so I'm just like, This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, like, like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know, yeah. I'm feeling very good. And then after the meeting I was talking to her and um Did anybody comment on the shirt ever? Well, after the meeting I was standing with her and this guy and she and she goes, uh, Did you notice my shirt? She said to the guy she goes, what is that? Ope, Because the, <laughs> the D is covered by something and yeah. the Y was covered by that. And she goes, no, it's Dopey Podcast. It's two idiots in recovery talking shit. And um, and then he looked at me and I think on Instagram, like, my name po- pops up with it somehow. Yeah. And he goes, don't you have something to do with that? I said, I don't know what you're, I said, I know what you're talking about. He <laughs> said, I wouldn't listen to that. I said, I said, it's no good. Don't listen to it. That's
0: funny. That's what I always tell people. It's no good. Don't listen to it. I mean, if you said that to me, I'd want to fucking listen to it. You think so? Yeah, I've been telling people at school about it on the slide. What do you say? Here and there. What do you say? Uh, they ask me what I'm doing, and then uh, like for the weekend, and if I'm coming to New York, I said we well, to go New York to record a podcast. And they say, "What well, the a podcast? What's that?" I was like, uh, "It's." Uh, like, it's show I do about addiction. Like you should, I say to some of them, like, it's really taboo. Like, you probably yeah. shouldn't listen to it.
1: Chris says taboo. I say stupid. I say controversial and taboo. I say stupid. Yeah. I told Sam Cutler it's pretty stupid. He goes, no show is stupid. Let's make it hip and smart.
0: Is that what he said? That's what he said. Yeah, but he also said you can't laugh at drugs, right? He might have said that, too. Yeah. Um, I was going to say so something else. He's coming soon, though he's you know we're going about to air his interview.
1: Listen, I only uh I was going to say though I, in my estimation a recovery podcast
0: has to have some drugs in it. Well, it's like a share, you know. It's like what was it like? What happened and what it's like now. I think originally our format was to spend more time saying what was it like. And I think we appeal to a unique audience because a lot of people like hanging out there more. Old timers don't necessarily. But I get a real kick out of talking about like the dumb, dumb shit. Yeah, you recovery. like talking about the minutia, uh, basically the Seinfeldy type antics of being in recovery. It's exactly what it's exactly like the show Seinfeld is, except it's like recovery yeah do you know what I mean like yeah. this it's like you know it's like George coming into Jerry's apartment and saying you know what happened today yeah like, exactly that's, yeah. Ex- that's, ex- that's exactly right yeah. let's, let's get, get on with it alright ready for it. the interview guys again very uh, rockish popish so um, uh, tune in and um, if you don't really understand what Dave and Sam are talking about um, write us an email write us an email and also uh, don't worry about it because I, I probably won't understand it either because I'm an idiot, so you're probably an idiot like me. But I hope you like it, because it was a real, real honor for me to and Dave was so fucking excited. He was talking about it nonstop. I'm really into it. Yeah. All right, guys, tune in, listen up. We'll be back.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to start... Go I'm going to start recording. So tell me the story of what just happened with your phone, because I think it's funny. Okay. I'm with you. 100%. Okay, well,
2: the thing is, you know, I'm a great... There's many things I love about America. One of the things I love about America is Levi jeans. So when I come to America, I always buy myself, you know, an extra couple of pairs of jeans. I don't have any pairs of Levi's. I've got probably up to about 10 or 12 pairs, far too many. Anyway, um, one of the things I always try, try not to do is put my phone in the back pocket of my Levi's, which, of course, I did, which meant I sat on the bloody thing, so I broke the glass in it. Yeah, I said, oh my God, okay, so you'd think that I'd learn from that. Well, bugger me, the next day, what did I do? I was going to, to the bathroom, as you Americans say, the toilet. The phone dropped out of my Levi's and fell in the toilet. So that was the end of that phone, and, and that messed up our interview and all that. So I managed to get a new phone in it, and uh, here we are now on a new phone with a battery that works. I no longer put it
1: in the back pocket of my Levi's. Well, Sam, you need there to you know—you need to know—for me, having you on the phone is a—it's a super dream and kind of like a weird fantasy because I've been watching. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I watch these films, you know, "Gimme Shelter," and I, and I just watched the long, strange trip. Sure. I've read so many books right. about the Stones and the Dead and the '60s, right. and, and for me, the music is a. Uh, and the time, it's so fantastical that to talk to you is a uh, – it's a super treat for me. Um, our show okay. is
3: uh, – right.
1: not- cool. No, no. Right. Our show is this – is a, basically it's a fucked up stupid show about drugs and addiction and dumb shit. And um, in my opinion, like I think a lot of drug use comes out of uh, – fantasy in I mean for me I my drug use was very much connected to my fantasy of the sixties and rock and roll. And I know when I read right. about you, you um you were taking acid in the late sixties and, and you had read Jack Kerouac and stuff like that. What was the thing that drew you to yeah. it well I mean my mother
2: used to say to very Roger. Why do people take drugs? And it's a question that still I've yet to satisfactorily answer, really. Uh, why did I take them? I took them, I guess, on one level, because it's what everybody else was doing. Uh, we were, um, we were uh, attracted to the idea of, uh, you know, super-consciousness, you know, a different form of consciousness to, to, to daily kind of... Um, you know, uh, consciousness. I um, I I haven't done drugs for many years now. I find I don't. I mean, I'm 74 years old. I find that I don't need to do it. In fact, the, about the strongest thing I do now is um, have a, a, a copy with a double shot in it. You know, and that, that that seems to do me. But years ago, of course, we um, we paid the terrible price. Our um, our, uh, our generation. You know, really. From Jimi Hendrix to Janice to so many people that died from not really knowing how to take drugs. And it's now, of course, it's a permanent problem. And I mean, you've got thousands and thousands of people dying from um you know, uh, prescription drugs in the United States. Uh, I find it very sad. I think there's a reason for it. One of the reasons is that we that we need to start teaching people how to take drugs, or more accurately, how not to take them so that they don't kill again. And that, you know, there's an appalling level of ignorance abroad, and uh, people are killing themselves by default, you know, and, and I think it's terribly sad. So, as I say, I've... Um, You know, uh, William Morris, the famous English uh, poet, I mean, um, William Blake, excuse me, William Blake, You uh, you said back in the 18th century, the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. So I've had plenty of excess in my life, and hopefully I'm now, you know, getting old and getting wise.
1: Well, you were on the road uh, with some of the, you know, most epic drug-taking bands ever, and when we even say that, it's bullshit. You you were on the road with with two of the possibly greatest bands in the history of the universe. The only band that I could think of that could you know top them is the Beatles. And I don't think being a tour manager for the Beatles would have been nearly as much fun. What do you think? Uh,
2: you know, I know, well, I know, Mal Evans. You know, I knew him well. Uh, he had a lot of fun. The Beatles had lots of fun. I mean, the thing about the Beatles is. They were still in that time in the music business where you used to have lots of illicit pleasures, let me call it like that, you know what I mean, but that was all kept from the public. By the time the Rolling Stones came along, you know what I mean, and uh, the Grateful Dead, uh, uh, people were kind of, I don't know about, happy to publicise their personal habits, but, you know, it was widely disseminated and widely understood that that's what people were doing. I mean. It stretches across a lot of bands, man, not just, you know, the guy who put that in the, the rolling Science people with the band had, you know, uh, chemical issues, all kinds of bands have had to deal with this, you know, and the society itself has to deal with it, doesn't it? You know, I mean, I, I read a report of 68,000 people that died in the United States, you know, from um, pharmaceutical, the misuse, let say, or abuse of pharmaceutical drugs you know, I mean the thing is years ago man, we used to take pot, pot don't kill you, we used to smoke pot, you know what I mean, it's just like all these heavy, heavy drugs now that are uh, available to young people, I have two young sons, I'm pleased to say neither one of them is into drugs, Uh, you know, one of my sons wears a t-shirt and says, why do you think they call it dope, Right. you know, it's, it's not necessarily the case that drugs are necessarily, if you like, the answer to uh, living in the contemporary world. The problem, of course, you know, for sensitive walls as it were, that live in the contemporary world is, uh, I don't know, am I allowed to swear on your... Definitely. Uh,
1: By all fucking means, yes. Huh? Yes. Yeah, okay. uh, you know, um, the problem with the contemporary
2: world is that it's seriously fucked up. You know, there's a lot of things going on that people, you know, are shocked by, frightened of, worried about, you know. And, uh, you know, people traditionally perhaps have used alcohol to assuage those kind of worries, you know what I mean, and drown them in drink. Now people are using other things, and the other things that they're using, of course, can kill you, you know. The, the, you know, the difference between taking the drug and getting high and taking that same, same drug and actually killing yourself can sometimes be just one tablet.
1: Yeah, you never know. Especially <laughs> this is, this is, with illicit yeah, stuff, you don't know about dosages. I was um, I was a, a heroin addict, and my, my podcasting partner, Chris, was also a heroin addict, but no. we used everything. And our show is really about you know, the dumbest, stupidest things that we got ourselves into. And then it's also about how we got ourselves out of it. You know what I mean? Um,
2: Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the latter is the important thing, listen. (laughs) I don't judge people, (laughs) I'll be very
1: lucky. When you were on the road- I was a tour. I was a
2: tour manager, man. You know, you can't be the tour manager and lying unconscious on the floor.
1: But somehow you right. could
2: be
1: you could be the tour manager and be dropping acid all the time, right?
2: Well, not all the time, but I mean, yeah, I used to take acid a lot. But we also, you know, we didn't take enough acid that you know you are having conversations with God,
1: right? It was kind of we a microdosing thing. Microdosing, right, right, right. Like that we story. It I
2: mean, it,
1: in your book, you yeah, tell I mean, you tell a story about you were in Philadelphia. And uh and, and the dead and Steve Miller were opening up for uh Jimi Hendrix and they, they weren't gonna yeah, pay you. That's right. And uh, and, and, that's and, right. and you wind up going into the county Can you tell the story a little bit.
2: Yeah, well I mean, you know, several of the equipment guys for the Grateful Dead were like quite revolutionary in in terms of their attitude to acid. They thought, you know, the whole world should take acid kind of thing. I wasn't so sure about that, but anyway.
1: Which um, one? It was Parrish? Parrish made made sure of that?
2: Yeah. (laughs) So we went into uh, where the uh, money was being counted, and there was all these kind of heavy-looking gangster types counting money. They obviously had more than enough money to be able to pay us, you know. And um, so there was a drinking fountain there, you know, one of those... uh, you know, with the big jar of water that goes through a kind of cooler and you press the tap and get ice cold water. So, yeah, Heard, heard, Sonny Heard, bless him, he's long dead, he won't mind me telling this story. Um, Heard uh, just, you know, took a new bottle of water because the old one had almost run out and uh, made sure that, uh, you know, the suitable uh, stuff was applied. And uh, so all those guys got high and... um, Hopefully, it it was of a benefit to them, you know. I mean, there was a time in the Grateful Dead's history where the Grateful Dead and people around the Grateful Dead uh, dosed other people, uh, you know, with people unwittingly, knowing that this had happened to them. And there was a time there, I freely admit, where we all thought it was, you know, the right thing to do. But it came to a head on on a tour in uh, Canada, there was uh, Janice Joplin, the
1: band, all kinds of people. The Festival it. Express. Janice, yeah, Festival Express. And Janice, who didn't like acid, she was a drinker, you know, a bit like Pig Pen,
2: you know, lots of people that are into alcohol don't like acid. Janice got dosed accidentally. I mean, nobody did it deliberately because there was a big cake and she ate a bit of cake and she got high. And then uh, she got hold of Jerry, right, and just fucking tore us strips of Jerry like you know over this uh, happening and was very 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 upset shall we say
1: yeah and that did so that. we all
2: had a meet and, well we then had a meeting you know and it was decided that basically this wasn't on you know what I mean that it was it was time to, to change you know times had changed our attitudes had changed this was uh, uh, irresponsible if you like to do this so yeah, that things changed. But several of the Grateful Dead's crew, uh, without mentioning names, but Sonny Herb was one of them, <laughs> or Rex Jackson was another, continued to believe that um, you know that was the way to go, as it were. You know, so if you hung around the Grateful Dead, you were in uh, you know in, in danger of uh, of uh, getting high. Um, but you know, again, you know, we're older now, man. We can look back on these events, you know, and the way that we behaved. I, um, I, I don't I don't believe in giving anything to anyone, you know, that uh, they don't know about. And You know what I mean? I think I'm a great believer in, in informed consent. The problem is people are informed. People are chronically ignorant of what drugs can do to you. Drugs, I belong to the school of thought that sees drugs as wonderful tools in certain environments. Right? Right. I don't want my airline pilot doing heroin while he's flying me. No, no. I don't want my heart surgeon taking LSD while he's putting a valve in my heart. We obviously realize, all of us, that there's appropriate places for taking drugs and there's inappropriate
1: places. And uh-huh. you, you also uh-huh. might you might uh-huh. not want every, every band taking L S D. You just happen to be the tour manager of the band designed to function on L S D, with Jerry Garcia being the guy who could create, you know, who could create on L S D. That was his, his go to. Well, indeed. But I mean I've seen Jerry and I've seen other people. I mean the guy forget had to learn how to do it. Right.
2: How to function. You know, there's plenty of things, you know, times that the Grateful Dead were so stoned that it was a a, a difficulty, you know, let's be nice about it. It was a huge difficulty for them, but out of that difficulty and facing that difficulty, they learned how to cross that particular bridge, right?
0: With experience. People... With experience, they learned how to
2: cross that bridge and use acid as a vehicle for further creativity, right? Not everybody is equipped to do that, man. You know? Lots of people can take acid and have very, very negative experiences, you know? So I'm not a person that believes that, you know, everyone should take it. I don't, I don't, I'm not a believer in every, anybody necessarily having to take a particular drug and here's the reason why we all have individual consciousnesses all of us right so there's no such thing as being able to say oh yeah oh you know marijuana does this well it does in most
0: cases but not in every case right of course heroin does this or
2: acid does that or whatever
3: You know, you can't generalise about drugs and you can't generalise
2: about people's reactions to them. It's a sensitive area. What I do think, though, is that we need to. I've got two sons. I'm so grateful that one's 23, one's 21. They're both alive. They've managed to get through, you know, the difficult part of childhood, as it were, where they were surrounded by drugs. Here in Australia, there's just as many drugs as there are in. America, but they've managed to get a kind of, you know, strike a happy balance
3: and, uh, and uh, you know, drugs haven't killed them, uh, thank God. Thank and, God. Uh, you know, I'm so grateful for that, but
2: my wife and I, you know, their mother and I, we spend a lot of time talking to them about these things. Well, lots of per- people's parents aren't equipped to do that, you know. Schools aren't equipped to do it. This, where do kids get information about you know what I mean, the dangers of drugs and, and what benefits there are and what drawbacks. None of
1: that exists. But I don't, it, I don't know. Simply. I don't know. I don't know, Sam, because I know that when I started doing drugs, I was told, not, you know, that drugs were bad. I knew that that I should never do heroin, but somehow I, I thought I could. And I'm pretty sure when I read about the history of the Grateful sure. Dead that that Jerry and, and all those guys perish... Uh, uh, Rock Scully, all those guys knew that they shouldn't be fucking with heroin and yet, bang, you know, they did. You know, because, because, you know, they're well, addicts. Yeah, well, people are stupid. <laughs> exactly.
2: Straight. We're yeah. all stupid.
1: Were you around when they started switching to dope? In, in some respects. No, man, my deal with Jerry,
2: right, personally with Jerry and everybody in The of Dead was really simple, right? I just came out Working with the Stones, bless them, great people. I have no criticism of the Rolling Stones, you know what I mean? But my one thing I didn't want to do was ever work around bands that got into heroin. That was just not my trip, man. Here's the I mean. question, though. Let's... You know, first, first, excuse me, let me finish. So I personally had a deal with Jerry that heroin was a no-no, and Jerry spent a lot of time explaining to me, no, 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 man, we know we're into acid. We're not into heroin. There's, you know. So in the time that I was with the Grateful Dead, nobody was doing heroin. I know of.
1: Right. So it must have started to happen when you were opening that, that tour company, right?
2: I left. Yeah, I left in 74. And thereafter... I'm not, you know, capable of telling you exactly what happened. But the fact of the matter is, is you know, on on uh, the on a lot of levels, you know, it, uh, it went downhill. Not because I wasn't there, but it, you know what I mean. So, so yeah, certain people got into heroin. There was a kind of two different factions in the Great Good Dead, if you like. There were the people that were into heroin and the people that weren't. You know, right? It's like in life, some people just, you know, aren't mm. into it. I, as I say again the fact that I didn't get into it and have managed to get through life without being into it I put down not to my superior insight or skill or any of that bullshit I put it down simply to the fact that I was very lucky to be a tour manager tour managers can't be completely drunk they can't be stoned and unconscious in the corner the tour manager is always
1: Right, one of my favorite stories about you. My favorite—it's such an interesting story, and and I could see such a cool movie about it. Like, and I, and I'm backing up and I'm going forward at the same time. But after Altamont, after Meredith Hunter is killed and the stones fly away, you decide you're going to take it upon yourself to represent the band, and and then you're alone in San Francisco. What 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 kind? What did that feel like?
2: It was <laughs> No, it was terrible. I mean, man, the day, two days after Altamont, I went to a meeting with all the presidents of the um, of the uh, Hells Angels, you know, the California chapters. I was very frightened, man. Of course. But, you know, you can't just, you can't go through life bragging about all the wonderful things that you've done in life and not, you know, face up to the fact that some of the things that you were involved with were really fucked, this you had a share of responsibility, you know. So I felt like, you know, somebody needed to be there to talk for the Rolling Stones, not fucking Mel Belli and a bunch of fucking mafia lawyers, you yeah. know what I mean? Somebody who was real, who knew the Rolling Stones personally, loved their music, loved them as people, you know, and I... And I didn't feel like we, uh, as a band, that the Rolling Stones had done anything, you know, particularly bad. they have been a bit stupid and innocent and naive, but that, you know, that's not hanging offence. So I felt like, yeah, the Rolling Stones, a voice should stand up and speak to the Rolling Stones and everybody else was slacking them off and saying, what a bunch of fucking, you know, killing, whatever, you know, all that stuff that they said about the Stones. So the Hells Angels wanted to talk to me, and uh or oh, somebody from the stones i was the only person that was around uh mickey hart bless him with very good friends with the uh, sweet william billy fitch an old member of the san francisco angels and uh, william gave uh, mickey his word you know that um that if i came to a meeting nothing would happen to me basically you know what i mean they weren't you know they weren't out to you know Beat me up or kill me, kind of thing, you know, and uh, which didn't. I it mean, was nice, you know. What I mean, that made me feel a bit better. But of course, I was scared shitless, man. But when the going gets tough, we have to keep going, don't we? We have to do things in this life. Sometimes, you know, you just got to do it. So I went, and um, yeah, they were they were not happy. They were not happy. I mean, I think without being, um, you know, up myself as like we could describe it in Australia or being. being about it. I think they were a bit surprised so I had actually turned up like you know I felt we should talk to one another I'm not a war 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 kind of person man I'm not a violent person you know I'm pleased and proud to say I've never hit a woman in my life you right. know I'm not that kind of person I'm not you know a street fighting man right. you know what I mean?
1: any of that isn't it well, interesting though like with the story for all of our listeners that don't know the story after Woodstock happened, it was this. This is how I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but after. Oh, yeah, sure. After Woodstock had happened, which was this gigantic festival in upstate New York that was the coalescence of the 60s and rock and roll and folk and peace and love and hippies, I felt like Mick Jagger was like – he wanted to get a piece of it. And he was like, I'm going to put on a concert in San Francisco where – I mean you, you hear the quote in the Gimme Shelter movie, to show people how to behave, Mick says for some reason in his genteel wisdom. I'm going to show people how we can behave. You know that was the the, the premise, and um, and then they got all these bands together, uh, and they picked out a location that it could have been a beautiful festival, but then through strange. I'm going to stop you one sec. Please, you, you've
2: got something wrong. Please, the Rolling Stones didn't plan that. The Grateful Dead planned it.
1: Uh, it, was, it their was their idea. The Grateful Dead's idea, not the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Went along with
2: it because they thought you know, it would be good. <laughs> we just played in London in July of that year, 1969,
1: for 300 odd thousand people. It was beautiful. That was the Hyde Park concert. Call, it was a lovely, yeah, Hyde Park, lovely summer's day. The idea of doing a a free
2: concert in. In uh, San Francisco, it's just this romantic dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Rock Scully from The Grateful Dead came to England and got into Keith, you know, and became friends with Keith. And he's the guy that suggested all this. So it was all organized out of The Grateful Dead's office. Um, You know, Santana played, Cosby Stills and Nash, the Airplane, they were all invited to play by Jerry. Right. So The Grateful Dead have a huge responsibility in terms of the whole organisation the whole trip, right? Then of course it just went pear-shaped and was awful and it was just, a, you know, like, you know, as everyone knows, it was a fucking random violence going on everywhere, American style, and the going straight for Deb, just felt like they, uh, you know, they couldn't play. I mean like Phil, Phil Lesh, bless him, and he's a dear friend of mine still, to this day Phil said, and I thought he was very him to say it in a way. It wasn't the Grateful Dead's finest hour because the Great Dead didn't trust the music, you know, their own music, you know what I mean? To cool the savage beast, as it were.
3: Well, I read. He did play. Where
1: I heard you talk about it that you were certain, you know, there was a lot of acid going around in Altamont, and you were certain that the acid going around was tainted and, and possibly by the government based on the way the machine was the well, the doses were being tapped. Correct?
2: I mean for sure, I mean at that time I knew the main players in the underground scene that were capable of making, you know, LSD on a quasi industrial scale, shall we say. Right? They were all friends of the Grateful Dead. Right? I mean Housey was just one of them. There are other players as well. None of those people made this particular asset that was a Altamont, right? Which was incredibly strong. Right? And also well I didn't take it but I saw the results of it. Hundreds of people had, you know, the the problems with bad trips. It was a mess, you know, and it was being given away for free you know, and being passed out in prodigious quantities. So where did it come from? Who, who? you know, manufactured it? These are all, of course, major questions. But the fact of the matter is, right, that we, we had a good look at it, me and Rex Jackson, we went around on the Friday night, the concert was on the Saturday. There was a girl, you know, that we saw, right, and talked to, right, had, you know, you know, pills by the handful. So we had a good look at the pills. Well, when you look at the tablet, right, if you know anything about these things, the tablets that they, that this acid was, you know, eating, right, were very, very professional. Um, There's a thing, you know, they can test tablets and they can work out, you know, the authorities can work out what kind of machine made it.
3: Right. From its density this level of relative hardness, all kinds of factors,
2: right? This was made by, you know, in very, very advanced, with the benefits of very, very, thank you, very, very advanced technology. So that wasn't what, um, you know, street chemists were doing at that time, in 1969. Right. So we, I mean, you make your money and you make your choice. Who who was afraid of rock and roll festivals during the 60s? Well, who was afraid was a government that saw itself as fighting against the radicalisation of black people by the Black Panthers. And probably lots of your listeners don't even know this, but, you know, the Black Panthers were effectively being assassinated
1: Not by, you know, random people, but
2: by the police themselves, right? You know what I mean? Not to mention
1: Martin Luther King. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, the question I, I've read I've read all sorts of serious conspiracy theories regarding uh, the bigger scope of like the '60s, and you know, LSD was originally produced by the CIA as a mind control. Correct? This whole MK Ultra so it wasn't thing. Produced, it wasn't produced by them, but they were very interested in in that use for it. Before. Right. It I was. Mean, there No, 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 no. Uh, a you know, a like, buddy of mine, just a drunk, isn't but a buddy of mine, who's a, who's a friend of mine, who's a big freak, you know, a big yeah. freak, uh, conspiracy theorist. I was talking to him this morning or last sure. night and he was yeah. saying his belief is that, you know, at the time in the early sixties, radical, radical, yeah. uh, revolutionary thought was coming into play And that the government wanted to undo radicalism with the far outness of LSD. To make it a movement that you couldn't follow because it was too crazy for an average American to follow. To subvert actual radicalism with tune in and drop out, as opposed to fight the power kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Do you have, what do you, I think there's a considerable, considerable truth to that,
2: you know, view. I mean, uh, you know, the go- government, governments worldwide are obviously, by the very nature of their who they are, they're into control, right? They don't want, you know, uh, a populace that's running around getting crazy. They want people that go to work, pay their taxes. And the fall normal, in line. Normal, legal kind of existences. You know, so the, the, one needs to remember something was going on in the 60s, right, that was a huge problem for the governments of the Western world. That was the Vietnam War. Right. So governments, you know, wanted to, uh, what they wanted was basically, I mean, they wanted the kids. Be into music and having fun. They didn't want the streets, the streets of America or England or wherever, you know, full of protesters about the
1: Vietnam War. Right. So that was,
2: uh, you, know, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. So I mean, it's like it's interesting, isn't it? You know that they um, that this should happen. Uh, that uh, that. Uh, I, I, that
1: the great divergence this great distraction it's a great diversion exactly right
2: you know people take drugs and and you know have fun and engage in hedonistic excess that means you know they're not down there organizing the workers
1: they're not you know working for the revolution are they they're just exactly they're having fun and they're wearing crazy clothes and all that shit (laughs) um but it's funny because the side effect of these drugs were some kind of moral consciousness, possibly. You're highly suggestible on these drugs, right? Like, you take a dose and you can think your most far-out thought makes sense, only to come to and be like, what the fuck was I thinking? You know, like, I think it's... But at the same time, the music becomes everything around you during the experience. So, I don't know. Okay.
2: fought their way through what I call forced consciousness and fought their way to a kind of higher, deeper understanding of the nature of reality,
3: the nature of what it means to be a human being, how we should behave with one another. Right, you know what I mean, right. Uh, the, the, I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? Since the 60s, the
2: Buddhism has spread, you know, like wildfire in the Western world. People are have developed a, a kind of alternative consciousness to the Abrahamic, uh, Abrahamic religions, you know, which is uh, the, you know the religions that recognise Abraham as as a, a founding prophet, which is basically Judaism Christianity and Mohammedism. Yeah, and
1: I'm Judaism. Muslim. So,
2: people have developed, you know, like a fourth way, like, or developed an interest in a fourth way that predates all the Abrahamic religions, which is Buddhism. So, and Buddhism, of course, teaches love and compassion and understanding, and most important, ahimsa, non-violence. So now let's bring it right up to today, you know, I wrote a thing on Facebook about this, here we are, you know, we've got this disgusting, awful situation where nominally at least we're told, you know, a single lone nutter fires on a music concert. Right? Yeah. Well, you can ask the same questions, can't you, that we've just been discussing with the 60s, you know what I mean, and what the government's attitude in the 60s to music was. You can ask these same questions today. What is the government's attitude to um, to to drugs? What is the government's attitude, whether you're in America or whether you're in England, France, wherever, Italy? What is the government attitude to these things, you know? And... Um, we live in very worrying times, man. You know, I think that the government has um, serious, serious misgivings about large open-air music gatherings. You know, I'm not suggesting for a moment that the bakers thing is part of some weird plot.
1: Well, because radicalism is basically... On. Radicalism is basically dead in terms of music at this point. You know, music is not political so much anymore. I mean, I can't even think of an exception. Seems to be. And also, music is, uh, is it's like, I mean, can you imagine a more pop-centric thing than some country western band in Vegas? You know, like, what a, I mean, what a nightmare. But imagine, you know, something like that at a, at, a, at a bigger festival. I guess you couldn't kill, it's hard to kill more people than this crazy person killed at that show. So it do, it doesn't really matter. But you see, you have to you have to ask one. I to is one you know can ask oneself validly, right?
2: Is, you know, is, what is the result of this going to be?
1: Control. Let's look at what is coming down the road. Control is coming down the road, mate. Is control of large outdoor festivals? Right. Well, control it. Period. Control in, in every aspect. I mean, and you can see it in New York City where every street corner has a camera, and you can see it, you know, on the airlines, and you can see it everywhere. We're, we're going towards a, a government of full-on control. You're right. Um, That's what I think is, um, is coming now. I
2: mean, but who knows? I mean, you know, I can't predict the future, but it, it's... Um it's pretty scary, don't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's but, terrifying. Who knows, man, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's uh, my heart, look, I'm a Buddhist, man. I don't, I mean, you don't have to be a Buddhist to believe what I believe, but this is what I believe. My heart goes out to the relatives and friends and lovers of the people that were killed, of the hundreds of people that were injured, man. It, it brings tears to my eyes to think about it. It's so mm-hmm. dreadful that, you know, I'm speechless, man, to this truth. I don't know what to say other than I'm just so sorry for what those happened? people. Yeah. The, the interests of the music business comes second in my book. These are These are, you know, flesh and blood human beings, man, and this has just been... Such a dreadful, dreadful thing, um, and if anybody is listening to this or you know has friends that were involved or, or have a bit lost lost loved ones there, all I can tell you is my heart just goes out to you. Um, Big time, man, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's it's one of the ugliest, most horrible things that I've ever come across or could imagine. And that's not just because it's music, man, you know what I mean? I I extend that feeling to all of these random, you know, crazy bloody killings that are going on. When will it stop? It's a nightmare, man, isn't it? It's an absolute nightmare.
1: It's a beautiful sentiment, subtle. and it's totally true. It, it, the, it, I can't even wrap my head around uh, suffering of that kind of proportion. It, it's just, and, and it's, all, it's so science, science fiction to hear the how fast that gun fired in the music and to see the people drop. It, it's heartbreaking and, and just awful. Yes. Um, there's nothing, I mean, I, I, I don't uh, have words. It's, now, it's beyond me. It's beyond me how, yeah. how horrible.
2: Now we have to ask ourselves, right, okay, Not particularly, I mean, why it happened, of course, is important. But I think the more important issue is how is this going to be stopped? Well, random acts of terror or violence can't just be stopped. It's almost impossible. But I think, you know, there's plenty of things that could be done to uh, make them less likely. And that's what, you know, I mean, the Americans have this saying, which I've always loved, you know, if you're not a part of the solution you must be part of the problem. So I think America really does need, you know, a kind of grown-up national conversation about what are the solutions. How can we deal with this? On a range of things, mate, we need to, you know, how can we deal with random violence? How, but equally, how can we deal with the fact that more people are dying in 12 months from the abuse of pharmacology, right, than die from gun-related incidents, road traffic deaths, alcohol, and war. Man, more people died in a year in America from big pharma, you know, making drugs, that died,
1: died in the Vietnam War, in the whole of the Vietnam War. This
2: whole opiate... I mean,
1: it's just... Yeah. It's beyond belief,
2: almost.
3: But it's... It's, it's not But, but, you know, but it's,
1: not, it's not... It's not necessarily... It's not necessarily the it's drugs, though, kids. Sam. It, it's all part and parcel. The, the, the world is set up in a way that a kid would rather not live in the world and he'd rather get high and he gets high and he gets high until one day he's dead. And and it's not the drugs. It's the society. It's the kid. I was that kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was shooting dope every day because I didn't like the way my life looked. I didn't like the way the world looked. Uh, things didn't happen quick enough for me. And then, lo and behold, I was addicted. You know what I mean? And it's a miracle that I didn't die.
3: Yeah, sure.
1: You know? So it's I like... It's like with what we do, what we try to do is take a look at life that it can be joyful and it can be fun and we can laugh at ourselves and we can have a good time. You know, that's our, the dopey podcast philosophy. And and it seems like, you know, we have a few hundred thousand downloads and you know, and people are responding, and people are going to uh, twelve-step meetings who had never thought to go, and people are are think, hearing us be happy in being sober and not being pandering and sanctimonious, and they're enjoying what we what we put out. But we can't save the world. All we can say is we're having a nice life, clean. You know that that's what me and my friend Chris do. You know, and and you know, and, and you're. you're t- well, I think it's an so I love it. I think it's
2: great that you're doing it, and I mean. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm sitting in the middle of Australia talking to you right now because I admire you for taking a stand. I think like, each and every one of us, man. You know, somewhere or other in our personal lives, has to take this kind of stand. You know, we can't save the world. You know, we're not Stalin, we're not Hitler, we're not Roosevelt, whatever. We're not Kennedy. You know, what I mean? we're not these great political leaders. We're just little old us. Right. We're just human beings. But you know, we love people.
1: We have a mess. All the
2: people that we love, you know, to die. You know, uh, you know, in some ridiculous, you know, ugly situation. Hopefully we want people to have a a decent and enjoyable life, you know. So we're called upon as moral people to do what we can, aren't we? And uh, and kudos to you, man, and hats off to you for doing what you can. Um, I'm I'm totally with your life. Life is possible without drugs, of course it is. And it's not necessary the case that life is improved by taking drugs. It's different, but it ain't necessarily improved,
1: you know, so. Right, of course. And, uh, I'm, I'm, and you know, I've
2: enjoyed uh, talking to you and I hope that my little, uh, my little bit here, you know, can, uh,
1: yeah, help, help in the end, but, you know. Dude, I have a couple more, I, I, I had to ask more questions. You you were there when they're recording "Let It Bleed," correct? Yes, I was. You played the car horn on one of my favorite Stone songs, "Country Honk." What an honor! What a cool thing! I did. I did. It's it's, I when I was a kid, and I heard that record, and I heard that I heard that horn. It blew my mind. Yeah. Tell me. Well, this is how it happened.
2: Shall I tell you? Well, this is what you know bless him, he's a, he's a true artist, Mick, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, so they wanted a... Um, so they're, they're making this country version of, you know...
1: Um, Honky-tonk woman, yeah. Right?
2: It's, a country, it's a country song, anyway. And they wanted a, a fantastic fiddle player on it, right? And uh, Graham, uh, Grandpa St. right? said, Oh, you're going to have Byron Berlin. Right? So <laughs> Byron Berlin, Judy, comes to uh, Cal- uh California from Nashville, right? And he's like... Six foot six. And if you, you know, put his tin steps and Stetson on top of his head, he's now seven foot two. Massive, well, huge guy, good looking man, you know what I mean? Unbelievable fiddle player. Right. So, they play on the track, and then they go, well, Mick goes, well, you know what? Uh, they try and record his violin part in the actual studio with him in the studio and all that. You know, the, the producer's all that. Jimmy Miller in the control room. Mick wasn't happy with the sound. So then they brought him into the control room and they go, you know, they tried and recorded him there, right where the mixing desk is. So he still wasn't happy with the sound. So then Mick goes, you know what? I think what we need is to get the sound right. We need to do it outdoors. The problem is we're trying to do this in the studio. So then they set up a mic right outside the door of the studio. So he's now like standing outside with headphones on, right? They do it again. No, nah, my barn comes in and listens to it. No, nah, you know, it's not right, it's not right, blah, 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 blah. So finally, they get like oh, I don't know, a 100 foot long cable, mic cable, and they set up the mic to record it with him by this road outside the studio, right? And sitting there, right there is the, um, the, the band's got a limousine. just sitting there, right? So Mix just me, get in a limousine, right? And what I want you to do is, when I signal, just go, like, B, 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 you know, because I want, tr- you wanted traffic noises. Yeah. God knows why, but anyway, he did, you know, in the back of it all. So, Byron burning standing there with the head, firing the sun, you know what I mean, looking completely mystified, of course, like, things it's all, like, you know, he knows the Rolling Stones are. and I mean, he's been paid to do it, but he looked pretty, like, this is fucked. You know, he had a strange kind of, um, uh, expression on his face shall we say right and uh, okay so it's like three two one go Mick gives me the signal you know so I'm like beep 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 and Byron does his thing plays the plays the track you know what I mean and then Mick gives me another single and I go beep 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 you know right and that was that was my one appearance on a Rolling Stones record. I'm very upset with them. They didn't pay me for it because it
1: was I played the the car horn better than any man on the planet. Ha! That's what I'm saying. It was
2: fun, man. It's fun. It's, yeah, it's, it's fucked great up. fun. And uh, bless them. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I've had I've had many a happy meal telling people my story of how the Rolling Stones used me to play the car horn on uh, Let It Bleed and of course Let It Bleed is. Fabulous album. I mean, I also think that Get Yaya's out is an amazing album, and I was fortunate enough to be on that as well, uh, introducing the band. So, uh, yeah, it's been nice, man, and uh, they were good to me, and uh, yeah, bless them. I love the Rolling Stones. You know, I, I always will.
1: And do you think a you know,
2: funny story about the Rolling Stones? About four years ago, the Rolling Stones came to Australia. So that time, my son, my youngest one, was still in his last year at high school. My oldest one had just left high school, but So I, I said, "Hey, you know, the Rolling Stones are coming to America. You want to meet them?" You know, they both looked at me, and my oldest son said, "The Rolling Stones. Grandma likes the Rolling Stones." <laughs> 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 they both they both came, and the Rolling Stones were so kind. Rolling Stones are, you know, a good family people, man. You know, kids uh, Got four or five kids. Uh, I has got I don't know seven or eight that we know about. Right. They love their kids, and uh, you know, they're they they're, they're soulful and they're soulful people. They were uh, they were very very kind to my sons. And uh, what can I say? You, know, when people are kind to your kids, it's uh, it means a lot, doesn't it?
1: You yeah. Have children. I have one. I have one one so, daughter. She's seven. She's great. She's my world. Lovely man, of course, absolutely, I mean there's nothing more, I mean
2: I was lucky man having kids, I was in my 50s when I had a kid, I was actually 51, you know, and uh, it uh, it changed my whole life, but uh, I think it changed my whole life for the better, made me uh, a warmer, more caring, loving person, and also helped in many ways me, uh, you know, understand a bit more about loving people so children what a, what a blessing
1: oh I don't think but I would just, be I wouldn't be more clean for reason why yeah I, I would
2: even, sorry I don't I know I talk a lot but even more reason why your program and what you're doing is so important the only way we can protect our children is through knowledge and education you can't stop kids doing things but you can at least
1: help kids understand you know the ramifications of what they're up to so yeah what we got to do I wanted to um, I, I, we've got to help save them what did you do well first I, I just have to I, there's a great quote in your book you can't always get what you want when you're on the road uh in 1969 with the stones and you would see and, and forgive me because you do have children and I have a young daughter but you would approach Beautiful, hot, available young women, and you would say, "How would you like to meet the Rolling Stones and fuck me?" How, how did that? How did that go? That was know, a that was, that was a winner. Went wonderfully. I mean,
2: it was ridiculous. Nine out of ten people would say sure. You know what I mean? So it was. It was just a bit of fun, really, man. I mean, it was you know, Bill and I were were joking because Bill loved his uh, Nookie, I and mean, we were joking about it. And Bill said, "Oh, that's what you should ask him." What they say, you know, we like we'll, we'll do a random survey, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, bless them. I mean, of course, this was in the days you know, before AIDS and, and all those kind of beers and people were very loose in the, in the late 60s compared to you know, I guess, to today, you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, and um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I. Believe being tour manager for the Rolling Stones is uh, wonderful on many, many levels. Not all wonderful. There's some heavy things that one had to deal with, too, because, of course, life isn't exclusively wonderful, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And uh, yeah, Keith
1: you. Keith was addicted? For, um, when, when you were on that tour, was he addicted? Sorry? Was Keith on dope on that tour, on the 69 tour? Was he addicted? Not in,
2: not in, uh, not in front of me. I mean, actually, um, he actually, he he really uh, made a big effort to, you know, straighten up and fly right kind of thing. It's very difficult, you know, to be, you know, like really into a drug like
1: heroin. On the road. Um, sure. Right. Almost impossible. So he wasn't sick no, all over is. the place. He wasn't going through withdrawal. He was never s- No. All right. No. Cool. And I, I have enough, I mean, I, I could talk to you forever, you know, unfortunately, because we can't do that. But um, what did you do after after you left San Francisco? Like, in, in in Strange Trip, in the movie, which I like, but I also don't like, you're by far the best thing in that movie. And right. Phil, Phil is so great right. in that movie. Thank you. Um, uh, but um, great, yeah. you claim that you got tired of the decision by committee and you were like, fuck this. And then in your book, you were, the dad was like, "We found somebody to do it for half the price." So, what was the story at the end?
2: Yeah. But I said, "Okay, good luck." My only words. They said, "Jerry, looking very uncomfortable," said, "Oh, we found someone to do it, you know, for half the price." My exact words were, "Good luck," and I stood up and left. Because I was fed up with it all. Man. I mean, you put up with a lot of bullshit. The Rolling Stones is one thing; the Grateful Dead are another. There was a faction in the Grateful Dead, you know, that, that coalesced around McIntyre, you right, know, right. and John Barlow, right. who were like um, a slightly less robust
1: approach to it all my own uh, the equipment guys and all that. You know, Bar- Barlow was, and, th- was the writer? Was, 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 was uh, Bob work, Weir's writer? My work was constantly undermined by those people.
2: So I did what I could. I showed The Great For Dead out to be a huge successful band. They did the music, of course, you know what I mean? But they didn't have much idea about how to organize things, so I showed them how to do all that. My job was basically done. What was I going to do, sit around for the next 20 years and look at, you know, suck milk
3: off the Grateful Dead tit? Right.
2: I I went to India to be a hippie. It was my turn to be a hippie. All the hippies were being hippies while I was working like a fucking dog.
1: So what did you do? What did you do? time for me to relax. So I went immediately
2: after leaving the Grateful Dead, uh, I wanted to go to India. I didn't because I was in a relationship with a girlfriend. And and, uh, I went to Texas. I did a thing in Texas and built built a place in Texas. um, And basically got screwed. But that's a whole other story, which will be in in a future book got screwed by my then uh, business partners. And uh, that was it, man. That was like the third big project I've been involved with in my life. And I'd had enough. So that was now the universe telling me, Sam, it's uh, your turn to go to India, be a hippie, and work out what you want to be when you grow up. So that's what I did. And what I wanted to be, which is what I'd always wanted to be, actually, since I was about 15 years old, was I wanted to be a writer. So there was nothing stopping me from being a writer, All you got to do is do it, not you? You know, so that's what I've been doing ever since. So I've been broke and I've been happy. And that's, uh, what else can I tell you briefly? I've had four marriages and I've had three cancers. I survived the cancers, lung cancer, colon cancer, and uh, rectal cancer, um, and uh, I survived them. I've survived my uh, marriages. Um, I'm still very proud of the fact that my, um, the mother of my children and uh, myself she was my third wife we're still very close, we treat one another with the love and kindness and respect and um, yeah life goes on, I feel very grateful and um, I'm writing, so I'm writing a cancer memoir about cancer which is a completely other way of looking at cancer <laughs> it's a kind of vaguely <laughs> comedic view of it all. Right. to be called Please Die Quietly and Don't Make a Mess Right. and uh, yeah that's that I'm, I, I've always got like 3 or 4 books that I'm writing on the go I'm writing uh, a book about sex and how much we you know how much time we waste on it all in a way you know to be called Sex for the Over Ages again it's a kind of funny light hearted look at it all
1: Right?
2: Right. Um, I've been working for, I don't know, 12 years, something mad, on a book about Ibiza, because I lived in Ibiza for, for I don't know, nearly 30 years, on and off. So I've got plenty going, and I'm also, um, uh, I've been working on a novel. What I'm doing right now, but, you know, to the exclusion of everything else, is trying to finish a novel that I've been working on for, like, the last... Well, four or five years, but in the last five years, I've had three different cancers. I've had uh, major, major operations. You know, um, I'm very lucky. So oh. I've got half a lung, and I've still got just about a whole brain.
1: Can I ask um, you a stupid question, I, um, Sam? Can I ask you a stupid question? Oh, yeah, Are you still smoking cigarettes?
2: No way, man! I've not smoked cigarettes for four years.
1: Nice. I stopped smoking uh, I cigarettes. I stopped smoking cigarettes 10 weeks ago, so I'm still kind of like, you know, it's tough. Oh yeah, I know, listen, you never get over it, don't worry about that,
2: you you just get to a point where you can, you know, your will not to do it just about sees you through, I'll give you a clue, okay? one of the things that you can do when you really want a cigarette that will make you feel good, right, is, you know, like, black chocolate, dark,
1: dark yes. black chocolate? Yes, very well, yes. You can get
2: chocolate that's, like, 70%. Yes. Chocolate?
1: Yes, I have
2: it. it tends to be a bit You take a little cube of that, just yes. one square of that, when yes. you really want a cigarette. Because what that produces, what chocolate produces in the brain, is endorphins pleasure drug. I'm with you. It's what makes you feel good. You know, it's
1: when you have an orgasm, that's what you're doing. It produces endorphins. So uh, chocolate does that. So a little bar of chocolate, you might end up being 350 pounds, but you'll be happy. Right on. Okay, one last thing, because this this thing is killing me. I have to ask this question because it's making me crazy. Fucking Jerry like for my money, Jerry's like, I have my two favorites in the history of rock and roll are John Lennon and Jerry Garcia. Um, Now, Jerry is this monster guitar player, beautiful, soulful singer, and he studied uh, the idioms of American music like most nobody. You know, he was a student of, of rock and roll, of American music, of country music, of blues. And I listened to Keith Richards, who was also an amazing student of these idioms? You know, he studied the Bakersfield style versus the Nashville style versus the Memphis style. And for some reason, Keith always shits on Jerry. Why? Are you with me? You gone? Fuck. Hello? Well, we lost him somehow. I'm gonna call him back. Hey. Hello? um i thought you ran out of batteries yeah, i don't know what happened there i thought th- so okay go back to our last question
2: because i'm gonna get brain cancer or something dreadful from being on this phone for so long so fire away brother
1: yeah the last question was why did keith shit on jerry's guitar playing when jerry was such a sweet guitar player oh
2: that's just keith and it you know what i mean Keith's Resist it, can it you Can't resist saying that, you know. It's like Keith saying, "Oh yeah, he snorted his father's ashes." What bullshit! It's just, you know, all that stuff's made up by publicists, man. I don't, I, I wouldn't give it two seconds of um, of um, credence. So you don't think Keith
1: snorted his father's ashes? Of course not. <laughs> you think he injected no them way. instead?
2: No way. I saw like him saying, "Keith fell out." Of a coconut tree. Keith couldn't climb on a fucking chair.
1: Let alone up a coconut palm. So what? What? What do you think that, that story feel? was? What? What? What do you think happened to him then, with the head injury or whatever? You think there You're wasn't drunk, an injury? He got drunk and fell. He got drunk and fell over and hit his head. Right. All right, Sam. I don't want to get. Probably. I mean, I don't know. I, you know what I mean?
2: love talking to you just let me say something man right i really 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 appreciate your efforts and the efforts of anybody that's trying to you know help people not fucking die by accident from drugs so keep up the good work thank you sam with you and, and thank you for for all the lovely things you're doing man
1: nice and everybody should check out sam that's the new site right
2: and uh, my new book will be out early in the new year I can't tell you what it's about but it'll be good thank you for in-
1: again th- so much for talking to me brother thank you for indulging all of Thanks these questions thank you so much stay strong right, my friend mate. be in Bye, touch then. lots of love to you listen you know
2: what I would like Please send me a message where I can listen to it when you finally, you know, edit it and get it all ready to go out to the world. I'd like to be able to hear it, and I'll publicize it, of course, on my Facebook and all that
1: stuff. Right on, right on. Sam, let's be in touch, okay? Maybe we can have you call in for a shorter thing sometime if you'd ever like. All right, bud. Thanks, man. Nice one, man. Okay, buddy. Have a great Thanks night. So Thank you. Thank you. Bye. It's an honor. Thank you. Good night. Bye. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Sam. That was pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, dude. Right on. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> um, so that was an
0: experiment in long-form interview. Um, Send us an email. And let us know if, if uh, you enjoyed Sam's thing. And uh, Dave, if you have any questions, comments you'd like us to forward along to Sam, Dave will do that. Um, I will. And hopefully he gets it done there in the rainforest and... Can respond.
1: Yes. And Sam's working on some really cool writing stuff he told me about, which is really fresh, but very top secret.
0: Wonderful. Anyway. Uh, and But in terms of uh, brass tacks and solid favors, and also, uh, real quickly, Dopey Asian, more dopey forthcoming um, in the next episode. We get some pretty dopey shit on the next one. Do we? Yeah. What's next? Uh, drug testing. Jed. Coming oh, yeah. back on. Turkey Basin, Turkey Basin. Y'all, Man. y'all, y'all know what Turkey Basin is. You'll find out on the next episode yes. of Dopey Podcast, the dark comedy of drug addiction. Yes. Uh, so, and with that, we're going to sign off and just ask you to uh, drop us a uh, review on iTunes. Uh, as grateful as I am to Omar and the Share Podcast, my only
1: really important mission in this world, besides raising a family. Is having more
0: reviews than Omar. So it's family, more reviews than Omar, sobriety? I'd say it's family, more reviews than Omar, sobriety. Yeah. Where's God falling? Okay. Is God rolled into the sobriety package? I think family is going to encase God in sobriety also. It's going to be, like, in the parentheses next to family. Oh, it's going to be, like, the triangle and the circle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that's that's number one. Is the tri- let's just call it the triangle and the circle. The triangle and
0: the circle. Number one is the triangle well, and the circle. Let me ask you a different question. Yeah. What would my triangle and circle be? Um, Annie. Annie. Is she at the top? Is she the point? The pinnacle? If the triangle was a letter, it would be an A yeah. for Annie. And Oh, yeah. So by Dopey Nation, we're going to get my girlfriend on the podcast to tell a story. Chris's relationship has really taken him away from me. That's not true. It it is true. It's school. It's not school. It's my doctorate. (laughs) You were
1: doing school last year. He called me every day. Every half an hour, he was crying about something. And now he, like, he can't even get him on the phone because he's, like, today, like, instead of putting out the episode, he was on the beach with Annie and her fucking service dog. It's like we're fucking fucked <laughs> with this relationship. The only thing I have to say about Annie, though, is she's a delightful young lady. She's wonderful. Except uh, she's ruined Chris. I mean, he's
0: fine here, I guess. But, like, in, outside of here, it's but like... But what else do I do? I'm in school. I got a full-time internship. Every other that's weekend, fun. I'm out in Western Mass. Dude, sober, sober living, managing. That's a
1: fine story to tell to somebody that you weren't texting, like, ten times a day.
0: Calling me every half an hour, crying about this or that. Oops. I got used to it, and then you're you're gone. Well, what was I crying about? Helga, <laughs> who's Helga?
1: Life, Annie's roommate. <laughs> Helga, life, boredom, dopey. What should you
0: buy at the supermarket? That Hel- wasn't me crying. I was just. I was literally. I do miss that. Dave and I would spend a lot of time together. With me standing in the frozen food aisle. In the supermarket he's in front Annie. of the ice cream. He's like,
1: Annie, I'm at the supermarket in the ice
0: cream parlor aisle. What, what should I get? No, I have to eat my ice cream like that when she's not around. I get excited when Annie's not there and I have time in the apartment. I come home and I binge on sugar and I fall asleep. Now I'm watching Rick and Morty. I heard that's good. It's pretty good. All right. Stay strong. Uh, like us and on sisters. Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Give Follow us more us reviews Instagram. than Omar. More reviews than Omar. More Reddit. reviews than Omar. More reviews than Omar. Reddit. We got Reddit, too. And coming up uh, on our next episode, we're going to check in with Hot Wheels again. I want to give a big... Next episode or not? No, the one after the next episode. Hot Wheels. I want to give a, a shout-out to Otter. Otter. Stay okay. strong. Stay strong, Otter. And Cormac. And stay strong, Dopey Nation. Just in and general. Randy. What the fuck? Thanks for tuning in. And Christina. And, and all Tito. the rest, yeah. And all the rest. All right. You know, we didn't
1: put a, a big... Uh, uh, we should do the other episode first. Who knows which episode's going to come out first. Take care, dopey Nation. Stay strong.
0: Stay strong, my brothers and sisters, in and out of recovery. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world.
1: I wonder would it do me any good. Watch airplanes just pass me by, and I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive, just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good, so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had, and my shadows get. Smaller and smaller And it's high noon Where I stand Shadows getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon Where I stand And I wonder would they Pay it any mind When I leave this busted City far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I want to be good, so bad. Want to be good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good, so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. Suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had, and least suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.